the beautiful thing about having a left-hander like Dickerson now, like we can match up better. You know what I'm saying? Like if you, a tough left is coming in and Grichik's on the bench, he can pinch it for Dickerson or the other way around. And that's something that we haven't had. And that's the, that's what Dickerson does for us now. He gives us that good left-handed bat. Well, there you go. The breaking news, I guess we want to call it that, out of Blue Jays camp ahead of tonight's game against the Cleveland Indians. Kevin Barker is that Kevin Biggio has gone on the IL with a backslash neck injury. And Corey Dickerson, as we mentioned yesterday, has been activated off the IL. Uh, Corey Dickerson acquired along with Adam Simber in a deal with the Marlins. He has been rehabbing at uh, AAA Buffalo or wherever the hell AAA Buffalo was playing, Trenton, Buffalo, wherever it was. But uh, he's been activated. And that that was manager Charlie Montoyo talking about the potential impact of that left-handed bat in the lineup. I mean, look, I, I, I guess operating under the assumption that Kevin Biggio is hurt, and we know that he did miss time with a neck-slash-back injury earlier this year. Uh, how, how do you envision... Corey Dickerson fitting into this, fitting into this team. I think exactly like the way Charlie said. He'll play a little left. He'll play a little right occasionally. He'll pinch hit when a tough righty comes in. And, and late in games, you know, everybody's talking about that late and close thing. Well, maybe Corey Dickerson come off and hit a breaking ball, lay off a slider, get something out over the plate, stay in the big part of the field. He's done it in the American League East before. He's done it down the stretch. Look, is he, is he a be-all, end-all to this team? Probably not, but he gives them a different option. He gives another team a different look. That's the whole point of this thing is the right-handed dominant lineup for the Toronto Blue Jays, especially late and close, hard throwers, hard right-handed throwers who like the slider, who can elevate the hater. Maybe you can't do that so much if they bring in Corey Dickerson. And, you know, Corey is sometimes occasionally got the short little compact swing when he does. Ball jumps off his bat, and that's what they're hoping for, I think, down the stretch here, just to give another team a different look. 707 will be the first pitch tonight from the Rogers Center. It'll be Hyunjin Ryu against Zach Plesak. Ben Wagner will have the call of the game. And, of course, as always, it will be on Sportsnet. Cleveland beat the Blue Jays 5-2 in 10 innings in the opener of their four-game series yesterday. Mark, that means the Jays are now 2-6 and six in extra inning games. They're 7-15 in games decided in the final at bat. And... That type of loss, and and I mean, there, there, to me, there's two talking points out of that particular game. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about Robbie Ray later. But the two talking points for me are one, Brad Hand coming in with the runner on second. What's the other one? Uh, the other one is something that a lot of folks have been talking about lately, and that is, and, and Charlie Montoya was asked about it yesterday, and that is the, the, the Blue Jays' issues in late and close situations. Mm-hmm. So I know you've got some thoughts on late on late and close situations. I kind of danced around it yesterday in the post-game show. Uh, but let's talk first and foremost about Brad Hand. Look, Brad Hand is not the Brad Hand of a couple of years ago. Um, he has had a lot of appearances this year for the Washington Nationals. You can look at analytics. You can talk to people. I think Pete Walker, John Schneider, Charlie Montoyo, they kind of need to see on their own what Brad Hand can give them yeah, when but- they can use them. I mean, uh, that was not great yesterday, but I think that goes down in your that goes down the, in your they, memory for, bank. For me, they got to get ninety wins. That, that means they got to win thirty six more games. They can they can only lose twenty three more games. If you got a guy 
that edge percentage, now that's a, mm-hmm. that's a little bit of a different stat. But when you throw 92 or 93, you know, nine, not 95, 96, and you're left-handed, and you're supposed to be doing these things late in games. And, you, you know, it's the, the heart rate goes a little bit up, especially when you don't have your stuff. He's not the Brad Hand of three or four years ago, and that's, I think, what they're trying to figure out. And, again, the, the, the leash for me has to be shorter. When, when you're not hitting your spots, you're giving up big key hits when it matters – that means your opportunity to get the ball when it matters goes down a little bit more and you give the ball to somebody else. That That's, that's for me, I think, a little bit more of what you're seeing. But, again, the, the track record's there. It, can he make adjustments arm side? Can he be a little bit better glove side? You know, can he attack into a righty, go away with the slider? That's the big thing is the more he throws of it, the better he throws with the fastball, the better location of it, the more on the edges. I mentioned this to you yesterday, not inner third mm-hmm. down the middle. That down the middle at 92 being left-handed to a Jose Ramirez, you know where that's going? In the seats. And that's where he's got to stay out of, especially late in games. And, again, that's I, they're, they're not going to continue to give him the ball because they know. It's going to take well, 90 wins. It's going to take 90 wins to make the playoffs. That's what I said. They'll, they found out. I think they found out something they about Brad out? Hand. I don't think Brad Hand – me, I don't think Brad Hand is a guy you go to the score tied or there with you the go. lead. I, 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 I don't. Not, I mean, not in the not in extra innings. And I understand, you know, the way the game was managed and and the the decisions that were made. I, I had no problem with that. I had no problem with him going with Brad Hand. But I think it, there's a process here of learning what your guy is all about. And I'm not saying Brad Hand's never going to, of course he's going to pitch again in the ninth inning at some point or the 10th inning. He yeah. just will. Yeah. He just will because mm-hmm. of the way bullpens are used now. That is a fact. But again, I think Charlie and, 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 and the, the brain trust, will kind of figure out what they got. I what they, look, I can tell you when they got Adam Simber, I know some of the guys were kind of going, you know, talking to people around the team, they're looking at his numbers now. Yeah. He doesn't give up a lot of home runs, but man, how's that going to play in yeah. this division? Yada, yada. Adam Simber had to prove to them. Well, you had to change minds. You and get people did. out. Exactly. You get people out. Then that'll change well, a manager's mind up, well, right away. Well, you can't give up bombs in the 10th no, inning. Exactly. Yeah, so, that's what it uh, Anyhow, that's where we are at that. we got to talk about, like, this is this is something that that came up a couple of weeks ago. Uh, somebody had, had tweeted that the Blue Jays, late and close, were historically bad. And I went and looked up the numbers. And, I mean, depending on where you looked, they were either – second last in, in, in baseball or third last with Houston behind them. Houston Astros, by the way, pretty good team. So, yeah, of course, it's like anything else. Over 162 games is a different narrative. And then yesterday, one of the questions Charlie was asked after the game about is young guys and close and late. I got to ask you about this because there's a couple of things. I, I think I, here's here's kind of the groundwork. Um. When you're close and late, mm-hmm. you are probably you are going to be seeing velocity. Seventh inning on. Seventh inning on, you're going to be seeing mm-hmm. velocity. Big time. More often than not, more often than not, you're going to see right-handed velocity. There you go. Okay. Now, people are going to say, well, wait a minute, Jeff. And I'm, I'm saying the Jays lineup is right-handed. And you're going to say, okay, Jeff, but... All those right-handers are pretty damn good. Bo, Flatty, Teoscar, uh, George Springer. Those are pretty good right-handed hitters, and they yeah. they handle velocity earlier in the game. Why can't they handle it now? You talked me through something 
about that. And, and I want you just to focus on what you think of that argument because you made a very good point. I think there's an element of luck here. I can see people rolling their eyes. But let's, okay, let's look at this. First of all, close and late, the Jays' OPS is not good. Their batting average is kind of like 23rd, something like that. Yeah. Uh, slugging is, I mean, it's, they're in the, they're in the bottom, they're in the bottom third of, I think the batting average may actually be a little closer to the middle, close and late. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's fine. One thing I'm going to say though, is one of the worst teams in baseball in that category, the Houston Astros. So just keep that in mind. But let's talk a little bit about close and late because, well, just walk me through close and late at bats. So far, who's got the most close and late at Well, at Rand- Randall Gritchick, he's hitting about a buck seventy, a little over a buck seventy, late and close. That's that. He's got somewhere right ar- almost around forty at bats. He's right. got the most at bats. That's not very good. You got, but he would also not be not the done. guy. You, if you could go to that lineup and go, that's a guy I want hitting yeah. and close and yeah. late. Randall will not be number yeah, one. Yeah, on the flip side of that, George Springer's got ten at bats, late and close. That, that's another thing too. You, you're one of your better hitters is not coming up when it matters the most. That's right. what they're they're trying to do. He's now, been hurt too. Yeah. Now Marcus Simeon's coming up. He's got about the same at bats as Randall Gritchick. He's hitting somewhere in the two forty range. But when Vladdy comes up, he's hitting well over 340, I think. Teoscar Hernandez is coming up. He's hitting somewhere around But the catch that. with Vladdy is he's like – he has had the seventh most close and late at bats there you of the go. team. It's a, There's so, a bunch of guys. Kevin a, Biggio's had more than him, is he is. not? It's, it's a lot of luck, and you got to remember, too, they're facing some of the best arms – when it comes to those situations, you you look at Tampa Bay. How many arms they throw out there? How hard they throw? Where they throw it from? The Yankees. The guys where yesterday. They throw look it at Emmanuel Classe yesterday. Hard, exactly right. How hard they throw it from? You know the Red Sox are bringing guys in that throw super hard and weird arm angles who are right-handed. It's a lot of that is right. How many at bats certain guys have in that situation? How clutch they are when they come up? Who can hit velocity? You know, Randall Gritch, if you're throwing it where he's swinging, he can hit velocity. But a lot of the times they don't throw it where he's swinging. When it matters, that's the situation. Mm-hmm. You want your best guys coming up in those biggest spots. And again, it is a lot of luck. It is, you know, you saw Vladdy coming up yesterday late and cl- late late in the situation. Uh, with a guy that throws a bazillion miles an hour. But he just missed that one pitch. Vladdy just missed but that But he got one. out. That, yeah. That's the thing is, the, the stats, it doesn't matter if you if you're, if you you're just miss it or not. But did he it, did. Did it work out for you? That's the whole situation of the late and close stat for me is a lot of luck. Who's coming up when it matters the most? Now, there may be one guy where the experience kind of factors in here, and that might be Bo, right? Because you've mentioned Bo. You know, we talk about Bo making great adjustments in the third strike, yeah, the free yeah. strike the, approach, the yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera. The big leg kick late and close is, right. a, is a big deal, right? How hard they throw, he, they'll pitch him backwards with the slider kind of thing, being right-handed. You do it from different arm angles. Is that experience, lack of it? Probably, right? It's it's. Can you shorten up? Can you think the other uh, the other way early in counts? Are you trying to let the heartbeat take over? You're getting a little bigger. That may be a little bit of what you're seeing from sometimes Blatty, sometimes Bo. So, you know, a little bit from Marcus Simeon. When you have seen George Springer come up, he's doing a little bit of that too. You know, they're hanging their hat on guys that they're supposed to be hanging their hat on. But you know, this just would tell you is the at-bats earlier in games matter that much more. First time through, they need to get better. Eli, Eli Morgan, I'm <laughs> sorry, in August – with two, one of the best lineups in baseball coming in has a, a mid seven ERA. Can't have one runner in scoring position his entire outing on the road. I'm sorry you can't do that and expect to win. Now, I know the guy coming in in the tenth inning gave it up, but you got to give us. You, you got to you know 
take a step back and go, your lineup's got to step up against the guy you're supposed to be beating up. It's 89 to 91. Now, was the sequences good? You saw some sequences to right-handed hitters were elevated fastball in with a fastball slider away. Again, it's 88 to 91. That you would think a really good lineup would make an adjustment to get it down a little earlier. Don't expand. Don't take the good one, chase the bad one. That's what you see a lot with this team when they haven't faced a guy. And it's like Zach Plesak. They haven't faced him this year. He's got two pitches against righties, a four-seamer and a slider. How do you think it's going to look, Jeff? That's the thing here is we can we can say all of this late and close thing because that's the best arms you're going to face all day probably. But how do they do against the starter? First at bat, that that thing, how the at-bats look. Are they staying inside the baseball? Are they using the entire field? When they get a good pitch to hit, are they, are they hitting it or are they missing it? Those are the things for me you got to be looking at. And the more the more bats George gets late, this team's going to be better because of it. Well, that and that's his reputation too. It will. He'll get he'll get more hangers. The starting lineup for the Cleveland Indians have not seen uh, the Blue Jays lineup yet. The starting lineup for the Indians is Miles Straw in center field. That was a great play, Miles Straw made yesterday. By the way, Miles Straw in center field. Ahmad Rosario is the shortstop. Jose Ramirez. At third base, Fran Reyes is the DH. Harold Ramirez in left field. Bobby Bradley at first base. Oscar Mercado in right. Roberto Perez behind the plate. Ernie Clement at second base. We already mentioned Zach Plesak pitching for Cleveland. For the Toronto Blue Jays, it will be Hyun Jin Ryu. Robbie Ray yesterday. What did you make of his? What did you make of his start? Yeah, it's a couple starts in a row. He's gutted through it. A fastball command really wasn't there. The bite on the slider wasn't there early. Uh, you know, he had a couple of base, bases stolen against him in the third inning there from Straw leading off, right? He's a fast guy. He'll get some better jumps. Uh, it's He tried to use some change-ups. It, you know, again, it gets back to the fact of when you're not having runs scored for you, you're almost have to be perfect every time you go out. It's it's not the easiest thing. You being left-handed, you got two pitches, what do we expect from Robbie Ray? Do we expect perfection every single time out, or we take a step back and go, you know, it's two pitches. He's left-handed. Mm-hmm. He's working through a big league lineup, even though it is Cleveland. They're not the greatest lineup in the world, but if you make a bad pitch to him, they'll make you pay for it. You know, the walks, and he started to figure it out there after sort of the fourth inning, right? He was a little bit more of the command of the fastball was a little bit better. The elevation of the fastball was better. The slider had a little bit more bite to it. It's you know, the the... the Entire part of the Blue Jays game has to come together. Like it's the, we said this, the Indians are not a great team. They're a decent team. The Blue Jays got to play better all around. It's controlling the running game. It's make plays defensively you're supposed to make. Your lineup can't let Eli Morgan in August make that lineup look the way it looked. It's, you know, and it he, was, he, he was exactly the way he's supposed to look in August. He went out and gave him a chance to win, and they didn't. Yeah, I should mention, by the way, that uh, Corey Dickerson apparently will make his debut tonight at DH. Bravik Valera will be at third base against the uh, against the right-hander. Um, so Bravik Valera will be starting instead ah. of Santiago Espinal. Um, Hyunjin Ryu in the mound. I might want my best defensive third baseman. Uh, you would baseman, think so. But uh, anyhow. Uh, Don't overthink it, maybe. There you go. Ross Atkins, general manager of the Blue Jays, joins us, by the way, uh, in a few minutes. And we'll take a look back at the trade deadline, a hectic trade deadline for the Blue Jays, to say the least. And uh, maybe also talk a little bit about uh, uh, about Nate Pearson and, and some other things. Yeah. Uh, some other things involving the organization 
Again, 7.07 is the first pitch tonight from the Rogers Center. Blue Jays and Cleveland Indians. The Indians 5-2 winners yesterday in 10 innings. Um, You talked about Robbie Ray and sort of having to gut through these two starts. We are getting to that point where it it is getting close to the dog days of August. Yep. Uh, My sense is you're probably going to see more of that from Robbie Ray. Did you notice anything... You know, we, we've talked about Robbie Ray and, and maximum effort and, and all yeah. that for, for a long time. Did you notice anything about the quality of his pitches? No, I don't yesterday? think so. Uh, how many pitches he's throwing per bat? He had a 10-pitch at bat in the first inning. He had two seven-pitch and one six-pitch at bat in the second inning. He had 39 pitches through two innings. That, what, that's what you're seeing. you got to work a little harder. Everybody knows now it's two pitches. Occasionally, he'll throw the change up. Occasionally, he'll throw a, a get-me-over slow-breaking ball, even in counts. That's the way he's using this change-up. Guys fouling off a bunch of fastballs up or or that slider. He'll go to the change-up, that kind of thing. He's got to work through it. Element of surprise is not there anymore with him. It's max effort. I'm going to go in with it. I'm going to try and expand with the slider. And you're seeing some longer at-bats. Again, it's... Well, I don't know what we expect from him. He's mm-hmm. been really, really good. Has he been great? Probably not, but he's been really, really, really good. And most of the time he goes to the mound, when he gives the ball to the manager, they got a chance of winning the game, and that's all you can ask. One of the things I saw yesterday, you made this point. I know we got a break. I think we got a break in a minute, right, to get Ross on. Uh, let me make this point very Let me make this point very quickly. You talked about it. The, DeMarlo Hale. Uh, who is replacing Terry Francona as manager on an interim basis. And we certainly wish, wish Tito all the best and want to see him back in the dugout. But they came out very aggressively yesterday. It was pretty clear that was, that was the plan. Push the issue on the bases, try to take advantage of some things. That, you know, you're going to see a lot of that because people are going to look at September's. September's schedule's pretty soft in a lot of ways for this team. They're going to be playing teams that are out of it. And... Those teams have nothing to lose, and they will be. I mean, there will be balls to the wall baseball. Now, a lot of yeah. guys that don't have are playing for jobs next year. And I, th- I think they're going to see a lot of stuff out of out of teams the you way know, the you Indians. Can, you can help. You can help that if you score a lot of runs. Your your offense is your best part of your game. Your starting pitching is really good too. Seems like you're back into your bullpen's getting better mm-hmm. if they put the right guy in the right spot. But for me, the lineup's got to score more runs than two. Yep. That would help. Hey, the, you can they haven't controlled the running game all year. All of a sudden in August, they're going to start doing that. It's yeah, well, they haven't really controlled a, the running game. It's a little game. tougher to do that. You're asking a lot from your catchers who doesn't have the greatest of arms. The you know the the how quickly they get the the you know the glove the ball from the glove to the hands not the greatest. They're set up because they go to the one knee that kind of thing. They're just not geared up. They're more for let's frame it instead yep. of controlling it. The guy on the mound's more worried about punching somebody out than he is. And that's been the way going back for. And that's been the way going back for a while. It's it not is. something that for just me, started this score year. Score more runs. Yeah. Make it easier on them. Ross Atkins is general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. He'll join us next. It's Baseball Central. So you've heard Barker and myself talk a little bit lately about Aurelvis Martinez, a 19-year-old infielder in the Blue Jays organization. They had a lot of teams ask about him at the trade deadline um, unsuccessfully, as it turns out. And, and rightly so, I think, Barker. We've talked about Aurelvis Martinez a lot, and a lot of people in baseball like him. The Jays have just announced that he is being promoted from Dunedin to Vancouver. Uh, the Vancouver team still, I believe, playing in Ogden. Uh, Ogden. You, did you play there? I did. 
Is it Ogden, Utah? Am I right? Let me just see. Uh, no, they're playing at Hillsborough in Hillsborough. But I did Oregon. play in Ogden. Yeah, I, that's where I that's started I my professional career. Um, so they're based out of Hillsborough, Oregon, Vancouver because of COVID nineteen uh, issues. But there you go, Ralvis Martinez being promoted. Uh, won't be the last time we'll be saying that. <laughs> no, very athletic to, to say the least. Yeah, um, and that is uh, he's certainly a name to keep to keep an eye on if you are a Blue Jays fan. Seven oh seven tonight is the first pitch at the Rogers Center. Yunjin Rio on the mound for the Blue Jays. Zach Plesac, the nephew of Dan Plesac, uh, on the mound for the Indians. He's six and three with an ERA of four twenty six. Ryu, of course, ten and five with an ERA of three twenty six. It's going to be his first. He he, it's one of the biggest free agent signings in club history, and this is going to be his first start at the Rogers Center mm. in a Blue Jays uniform. Um, as a result, obviously of of uh, COVID nineteen, it'll be his first career start. As a matter of fact, as a Blue Jay, uh, that's unbelievable. Center. really, isn't it? Well, it kind of tells you. It's unbelievable. Tells you everything you need to know about about where we are and where we have been uh, with the yeah. with the pandemic, say the Crazy. least. Uh, so 707 first pitch. Uh, we'll give you the Jays lineup as soon as we get it. We can tell you Bravik Valera is at third base. Corey Dickerson, who was just activated, is the DH tonight. And uh, at this time, we are very pleased to be joined by the general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, Ross Atkins. Ross, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, welcome back to Toronto after the uh, the uh, whatever 18 months, I guess, wandering, wandering, wandering through the desert. Um, before we talk to you about the trade deadline, you know, when the, the deal was made for Adam Simber, a lot of the focus was on him. Corey Dickerson at the time, uh, was hurt. He's being activated today. He he's going to play today. We may have kind of overlooked Corey Dickerson in this whole equation. Why was his inclusion important to you guys? And what do you think he can bring to this team? Yeah, thanks. First of all, thanks for having me on, guys. Good to hear your voices. And from Rogers Center and not Buffalo or Dunedin, it is very nice to be home. I I can't even describe how good it feels and how much more natural it feels for our major league team to be in this city. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. On on Corey, I mean, you know, the the track record, the character, the teammate – Uh, excited about his outfield ability and, you know, whether he's playing in left or right will will also be an added compliment. And just having the uh, left-handed hit in our lineup is obviously valuable. So uh, excited to see how he can help us. What's the biggest difference you've noticed around this team in the couple of days they've been home? Oh, it's their surroundings is the biggest difference. I mean, these guys, they, they were incredible when they were in Buffalo, when they were in, Dunedin on the road they have always been a very upbeat and positive group and extremely professional I I think they have probably gotten an added boost of energy and not one that they needed you know I I, the guys they really they really did a good job of just staying focused on what they could control and uh, but the the surroundings has added a big boost it is it's you know it's not something that I ever thought you could really quantify or, or talk about um, something as extremely significant of how important it is to have your home crowd cheering for you. Um, you know, you, you're, they're professionals. You expect them to compete and do the best of their ability, regardless of who's saying we're behind you or not. 
Uh, but it is over time just, you know, exceptionally powerful and not something in the, in this world you're ever challenged to think about too much. And <laughs> we just experienced it. So, you know, I think the energy they get from the fans and, and from being in this facility, um, you know, has been palpable for sure. I'm going to let Bark in here in a minute, but it's, it's funny because, you know, I would think of all the sports with the exception perhaps of some of the, uh, some of the quirks in different ballparks for hitters, et cetera, et cetera. I, I would think that home field advantage, it would be different than football, right? Or sports of, of sports of, I was going to say emotion or flow. I'm not taking anything away from baseball, but I, I think we would assume that it would be, would be a bigger deal in other sports, but just the comments some of the players made and, and seeing Charlie's reaction and Bo's reaction and Vladdy's reaction to that ceremony on Friday, that, really just kind of reinforce that there really is such a thing as home field advantage. Like well, there really yeah, if, is. If you, if you think about it over time, right? So if every single time that you're getting a certain emotion from whether it be a visiting crowd or a home crowd, you are going to get some level of emotion, whether it's anxiety or excitement or just more uh, desire to come through because of that level of energy that's coming at you. You know, on one night, sure, there it is a very, very small thing that may bump you in one direction or another. But over the course of time, it really can be powerful. And that's one of the beauty, beautiful things about baseball. Now, I, I know you, you guys just put Kevin on the I.L. It's obvious that the league has made an adjustment to him. I was just wondering what you're seeing from afar with his approach and his swing. On Kevin, you know, Kevin, he's... I think he's been battling through the the different aggravations and the injuries that he's had, uh, you know, the pain throughout his thoracic spine and into his neck. I mean, as a rotational athlete, is not something you want to be dealing with. And really, not, not huge differences. I think they're subtle. I think there's been times that he's gotten away from his approach, from a, it, and it's subtle. Like I said, it's not anything drastic where you see him be maybe a little bit more aggressive um, you know, at pitches out of the zone than what we've seen in the past. His swing looks relatively similar. He's he's tried to, at different times, use the whole field more and at different times maybe rely a little bit more heavily on a pull-side approach. But his swing, you know, it's not drastically different. But I, I do think, as you know, around ball and around bat, those subtle differences really matter. So he, he'll, he'll be back. He'll be back in a strong way. And the player that we saw last year, he's not that far off from it. It really is just a, a matter of a week or two of that really consistent, steady approach, seeing a lot of pitches and, and waiting for that mistake in the middle of the zone. Ross, I'm, I'm sure you've been asked this question already, but the trade deadline was Friday. Obviously, you guys got Jose Barrios. We know you got Saria as well. Um, you made other bullpen acquisitions earlier. How was... How was this deadline? I heard Eric Neander being interviewed, and he he just he said it was. Everybody says every year, well, the deadline was this, the deadline was that. He said this was just crazy. Was it was it as crazy as you know? You look at the number of trades that were made. Was it really that crazy from your point of view in terms of the amount of work involved, the amount of decisions that needed to be made? I you know I think it's really more. I don't want to speak for Eric right. and uh, independently of his comments. I, I think it was more the, the outcomes and the results. It was unusual to see this level uh, to just like looking at the Chicago Cubs and 
their ability to trade all of the players that they did and get quality returns for all of them doesn't typically happen because the demand was higher. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the demand meant more players moving and more marquee players moving. And that means that the, the prices were higher. So, um, you know, larger return, larger returns were occurring and, um, you know, in, in the end, we'll see, you know, we'll mm-hmm. see the impacts of uh, individual organizations and we'll see the impacts on the market moving forward. Um, but it was, it was very exciting. It was a, an exciting week an exciting couple of days for sure. I think it, you know, in talking to players about it too, a lot of players were super excited about the movement and momentum and, uh, representation of players were excited about it as well. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what it means moving forward. One of the things, Ross, you've done uh, is, is overhauled the bullpen on the fly. Two questions. One, how how hard is that to juggle, to kind of juggle all those balls? And when you are doing that, you know, I was trying to figure out, is there a, sort of a sequential, is there a process of looking at the bullpen and saying, okay, we need this guy, we need this guy, we need this type of guy? So... I, you know, I, so that you don't get a certain pitcher at a certain time, and then you find out a, a, two days later, geez, if we just waited, we could have got a guy who was a little better than him. It just seems to me that putting yeah. a bullpen together on a fly is just so hard. Well, you know, I, I think really, like anything else, is so dependent upon health. And we had some blows this year that were hard to overcome for a couple of months early on. Our bullpen was very good. We had a diverse group contributing at different ways and sometimes picking one another up. And, you know, one day it would be one individual in the eighth inning and the next day an entirely different individual or set of individuals over the seventh, eighth, and ninth. So having options is key. Having depth there is key. We're going to continue to need it. You know, we're going to need guys from within to really step up, whether that be Julian Merriweather getting healthy again, Nate Pearson could potentially factor in the guys that we've seen in Salcedo and Sneed recently stepping up. Maybe if our starters stay really healthy, one of our starters can help in the bullpen. And we're going to need all of that because other guys are going to have hiccups and other guys are going to have certain uh, performance setbacks that will need contributions across the, across all angles. As it relates to the deadline, you have to, work hard just to know what the acquisition prices are, make sure that you've prepped out your ideal choice and then work through where that you can marry that. You know, we, we were in on at every level of the bullpen and wanted to make sure we understood how we could do that and, and not compromise our farm system too much. We obviously prioritized the starting pitcher that will also impact our bullpen as having another starting pitcher that goes deep into a game means that we can rely a little bit less heavily on those leveraged relievers earlier in a game. You just mentioned Nate Pearson. How, how uh, long, uh, far along is he in his rehab? He's, well, he's, he's 100% healthy. The ball's exploding out of his hands. We are exceptionally encouraged about where he is physically. And now it's just a matter of fundamentally execution, getting him to a place where he could be a major league option. And we'll need to see a couple, at least, uh, you know, a couple, probably more likely several AAA outings to start to factor him in and, and think about how he could potentially impact us. How quick did the deal for Barrios come together? Um, I mean, I probably, it depends on how you say that deal, right? There's, First, you have to do all the work on your farm system to understand what level 
um, each piece is in the equation and how it impacts your organization. Then you do the work on all of the starting pitchers and dig into them individually. So that takes weeks to do all of that. And then understanding what your alternatives are and then thinking through or, or just understanding from the other team what they're looking for in return. And that piece of the equation was probably less than three days of understanding what the return was going to be. Uh, The back and forth with the Minnesota twins was not something that transpired over a month. It was more something that transpired over several days. And uh, they were, you know, they were just fine having Jose Barrios come back to their organization. So we knew there was going to be a premium that had to be paid. What what did you like uh, so much about Brad Hand? Well, Brad's great track record. Uh, we know the we know the durability and where it comes from and why he's been durable. We know the competitor. He's not going to back down. He hasn't had his best year, and we're hopeful that the next month and a half or two months or hopefully three, um, there will be closer to the, the the Brad Hand that we saw two years ago. So the the velo has been there. The velo has been encouraging for us thus far. Finding the consistency around that slider will be key for whether or not he's helping us in the eighth or the ninth or or contributing on another level you know just before you came on ross uh we've got a a feed of the ballpark here and they put up a graphic about george springer's offensive production since the all-star break and i i mean there was like seven categories he (laughs) was first in the team in um now that we've you know we've seen him play now for i don't know how many games he's he's back regularly Tell me about your impressions on the of the impact he can have on on the lineup when he is in the game. We understand the type of person he is, and clearly he's you know fit in very well in the clubhouse and and very well sort of in, into the culture of this team. But in terms of his impact on the lineup, what have you seen, and 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 what do you think could be the even longer term impact? You know, it's it's so interesting with major league hitters. There's this this debate that will forever exist. In hitting, it's never going to be determined that it's it's better to be disciplined versus aggressive, passive versus aggressive. There is ongoing discussion about that. There will be forever because it's a mindset, and it's different for every individual. I think George strikes that balance about as well as you can look to strike it. And that with his given talent and his ability, he has seemingly a very aggressive mindset to hit the ball hard and hit it a long way. And he's able to make decisions soon enough that he sees pitches as well. That's an incredible combination. I think, you know, with Vladdy, Vladdy does it a little bit more naturally inherently than most, just because of the bat speed, because of the vision. And George is exceptional that way in that he's looking to do damage. He's obviously very aggressive. You see early in the game, early in counts, first pitch home runs, but he sees the ball so early. So he's seeing a lot of pitches and that is extremely tiring for opposing pitchers. And, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the, the gist of it, but mm-hmm. just having, in, in my view, but having another threat like that, that, you know, has the potential to not only hit a ball out of the park, but have a really good at bat with a man on second or, you know, thinking through the situation of the game and understanding the importance of plate discipline is is a great compliment to our team. Okay, Ross, me, me and Jeff have been talking about this stat, and there's been other people that talk about the late and close stat. You know, the Blue Jays are at historic lows, seventh inning on. You know, you're facing high velocity. They're right-handed. 
I just want to get your thoughts on what you think of that stat. Does it matter? You don't care? Is it not a big deal? Or are you worried about seventh inning on, better at bats, guys' velocity, that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I will say this. Like, So my, I, I'm not going to sidestep it. It is something we need to be better with. There's yep. no doubt about that. But what I will say is good hitters hit good pitching. And I have seen from time to time, last year, this year, our hitters handle some of the best pitchers in the game. Yeah. So velocity is not as much of a concern. The, you know, having elite right-handed relievers come in and face our lineup is less than ideal. We'd rather they be left-handed. But our hitters hit good pitching. So I think it's really going to come down to the strike zone and making sure that we're disciplined to it. And I, and I, I don't, again, like I don't want to speak for our hitters, and I don't think that any of them are intimidated by any pitcher in the game. It's, it's not the velo component as much that exposes us as more the, the plate discipline and making sure that we stay within the zone. Ross, really good of you to join us today. Thanks so much again. Welcome home. Yeah. Um, it's great to uh, it's great to chat with you, and I'll see you once once I get down to the ballpark. We shall uh, we shall hook up for sure. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks, Ross. All right, Jeff. Thanks, Kevin. See Take you guys care. soon. Ross Atkins, general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, loved that answer. Yeah. So it does matter. Late. They they have noticed late and close the the strike zone. That that has for me the velocity thing. The harder they throw, the harder it is to recognize, let it travel a little bit longer. You know, you hear Vladdy talk about that. Most human beings can't let 98 travel. Like it just yeah. you just can't do yeah, that. Yeah, we sit there and I, say I it. I couldn't but... do that any. I had to uh, I had to basically take a a imaginary plate and put it in in front of the, the original plate to think about that's where my barrel I'm trying to make contact there instead of making contact on the plate because if I make contact on the plate at 98 it's a foul ball and you don't want to do that because if it's a foul ball I'm swinging at it for a reason I think it's a strike I'm getting a good pitch to hit I don't want to foul that off so it's just it, it, it's a combination of a lot of things. I think it's velocity, it's luck, having the right guys up at the right time, and it is plate discipline. Mm -hmm. Being able to lay off that thing that's a borderline, is it a strike, is it a ball, is that a pitcher's pitch, is that something I can take to live to fight another pitch? Yeah. And there's just a, there's only a few humans can do that. That's why these guys are pitching from the seventh inning well, on. That's why, you know, we were talking about it yesterday. I thought, I, I mean, I didn't... I didn't necessarily have a great answer on the on the on on the post game show because I, I've seen these guys hit. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I I remember these guys hitting Aroldis Chapman. Yeah, you know we have seen them. They I I'm not buying the argument that they quote unquote can't handle velocity. I think there was a time where we wondered if maybe some of the younger guys weren't overmatched. I still think Kevin maybe, but I don't know if that's as much where how hard uh, it's pitched. As as as, as where it's pitched, yeah. Um, but it, it's yeah, and uh, you know, Marcus Simeon. Uh, I was just reading a comment from Marcus Simeon said, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about the starting pitchers and studying starting pitchers. Mm -hmm. Maybe we need to spend more time looking. And he wasn't he he was not ripping anybody. Yeah. But he said, hey, maybe you know, maybe we got to spend more time looking at simplified at, as, at relievers as late in the end. Makes it just seems like they don't simplify it enough. It's like pitchers they don't face a lot of, no matter how hard they throw. throw. Eli yesterday was not mm -hmm. a hard thrower, somewhat located, carved them up a little bit. It just seems like you just go up, see ball, hit ball, look right down the middle until he makes you do something other than look right down the middle. And 
They're, they're too good of a hitter to look the way they're looking sometimes, right? It's But you got to remember, too, the high velocity makes you do things that you normally don't want to do, which is chase. Yep. Get them in the strike zone, and it's very hard to do that. It's easy sitting on your couch going, ha, why did he just swing at that? Well, it's followed up by something that he just threw that was 98-plus miles an hour. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the reason why. And coming righty on righty, it's not the easiest thing to keep the front side in. The front shoulder in, think right center. Okay, you do it on 98. It's not the easiest thing to do. No, it's uh, it's definitely not. We uh, will be joined by Jeff Passan at the top of the hour. Ben Wagner joins us as well. We'll take a break and come back. But a uh, talk a little more about some of the things Ross Atkins said. This is Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Jeff Passan joins us in a few minutes. COVID-19 is becoming an issue around Major League Baseball. Again, we'll talk to Jeff about that. Garrett Cole went on the COVID IL yesterday. Jordan Montgomery, Josh Hader's gone on it. Kevin Cash is worried about the numbers in Florida. We'll talk to Passan at 6 o'clock. The uh, Jays go into tonight's game, eight back of the division-leading Tampa Bay Rays. They're four out in the wild-card spot. The Rays were handled rather easily, 8-2 by the Seattle Mariners. Seattle's going to be a pain in the ass this. They this, are the last two months. You know that yeah. they are. They got nothing uh, to lose. Nah, they're 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 three out of the wild card, seven and a half back in the division. They're closer to their division huh. lead and closer to the wild card than the Blue and, Jays. And they're thinking the GM don't have their back. And they're thinking, yeah, they got a lot. Yeah, it's yeah, us they, got, they got a lot to prove. They, him. Yeah, they uh, <laughs> they're motivated by an immense dislike of their general manager, and and the Baltimore Orioles. Beat the New York Yankees 7-1. That's one of the reasons I looked at that last night, and I'm thinking, man, oh, man. I mean, that might have been a little bit of a missed opportunity for the Blue Jays. I know you can't live day-to-day, but it would have been a chance to maybe pick up a game on the uh, Yankees and uh, Tampa Bay as well. So that's where we are. Tampa Bay 64-43. and They lead the division. Boston 63-44. and One back, three up on the wild card. Yankees, they are seven back. Three back in the wild card. Jays are eight back in the division. Four back in the wild card. And uh, you know, Detroit Tigers are kind of sniffing around. They're nine and a half back. They're not going to be any problem at all. Houston, 64 and 42. Oakland, 60 and 47. They're four and a half back of their division tied for the wild card. And we mentioned the Seattle Mariners, 57 50, seven and a half back of their division, three back of the wild card. This is the Blue Jays lineup for tonight. George Springer's leading off at center field. Vladdy Jr. is at first base. Marcus Semyon is at second. Bobachet's at short. Teoscar Hernandez is in right field. Corey Dickerson is DHing. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in left. Bravik Valera, the switch hitter at third base. Reese McGuire behind the plate. Hyunjin Ryu on the mound for the Blue Jays. We gave you Cleveland's lineup a little earlier. We will reset that in the second hour of the show. Again, 707 first pitch. Ben Wagner joining us from the broadcast booth at the bottom of the hour. Jeff Passan, ESPN's MLB insider, will be along. Some COVID-19 news we were talking about with Garrett Cole going on the IL, Jordan Montgomery, uh, Aaron Boone saying today that Jordan Montgomery had a positive test, and Josh Hader of the Milwaukee Brewers. The numbers aren't great in the United States. You know about the Delta variant. You know about breakthrough COVID where folks who have had the vaccination are testing positive. I mean, this is something, I'll tell you what, this is something that could be a competitive advantage or disadvantage going down the stretch for various major league teams. We'll talk to Passon about that next. 
It's Baseball Central in the home of the Blue Jays. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Seven oh seven will be the first pitch tonight at the Rogers Center. Hyunjin Ryu on the mound for the Blue Jays. Finally making his first start in a Blue Jays uniform in Toronto against Zach Plesak of the Cleveland Indians. The Indians 5-2 winners yesterday in the first game of the four-game series. And uh, we have both lineups, and now we'll give them to you as we await uh, Jeff Passan. will join us in a few minutes. The Jays lineup, we'll see George Springer leading off. Vladdy Jr. at first, Marcus Semyon at second, Bo Bichette at short, Teoscar Hernandez in right. Corey Dickerson will make his Blue Jays debut as the designated hitter. Kevin Biggio has gone on the IL with a back and neck issue. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is in left. Bravik Valera gets a start at third base tonight. Reese McGuire behind the plate. We already mentioned that Hyun Jin Ryu is on the mound for the Toronto Blue Jays. And for the Cleveland Indians, it'll be Miles Straw, Ahmad Rosario, Jose Ramirez at third base, Fran Reyes is the designated hitter, Harold Ramirez in left field, Bobby Bradley at first, Oscar Mercado in right, Roberto Perez behind the plate, Ernie Clement. At second base, and as we mentioned, Zach Plesak, the nephew of Dan Plesak mm-hmm. on the mound for Cleveland. And uh, again, 707 first pitch, Ben Wagner joins us from the broadcast booth at the bottom of the hour. I guess we, we're all guilty uh, in some ways. Well, you're not guilty, Mr. Barker, but I guess we're all guilty in some ways of not forgetting about COVID-19, mm. not necessarily How overlooking How can you forget it. every time you put the mask on your face? Well, it's tough, I, I suppose. It? But here we are in August, what is it, August 5th, August 3rd. It'll be the fifth in two days. Therefore, <laughs> it's what? the third. Oh, boy. Jesus. <laughs> Can't buy that type of insight. No and I'll boy. tell you what. And they That's say why you get paid the big bucks. They say a BA from the University of Manitoba is not about, worth anything, right? That. <laughs> what do they know? Six years and six year undergrad, and you can subtract five from from huh? three, whatever. Three from five, and get two and put it together. My my <laughs> point is that COVID COVID nineteen has become has reemerged as a bit of an issue around Major League Baseball. We saw Garrett Cole test positive on the IL. Uh, Aaron Boone about two hours ago saying that Jordan Montgomery has uh, tested positive for COVID nineteen. Josh Hader of the Brewers, uh, another player who has uh, tested positive for COVID nineteen lately, and and uh, Kevin Cash of the Tampa Bay Rays you know, being really, really open uh, a couple of days ago in a discussion with his team about the numbers going up in Tampa. Uh, the folks at the at, at Tropicana Field are now the, the people, you know, working in the stands and that they've masked up again. And, you know, there appears to be, we, we've talked about breakthrough 
uh, COVID. We've talked about the Delta variant. And, and again, the idea when you get vaccinated is it's not going to prevent you from getting the variant or from getting COVID-19. When you do get it, it's just going to mean that you're not going to die. But that doesn't mean you're not necessarily going to get it. As we get into the fall season and as things gradually open up, I think maybe we need to start, and I know we all want to move beyond COVID-19. I think maybe we need to, as baseball fans and as baseball people, start playing, paying attention to this now because this really does have a, this is a significant, has a potential to be a significant story for the next two months. Yep. Jeff Passan is ESPN's MLB insider, and he joins us on Baseball Central. Jeff, thank, thanks so much for joining us today. Look, I'm not going to sound... I'm not sounding, you know, pressing the panic button here or anything, but I mean, I can, you know, I can tell you, I had a conversation with Mark Shapiro in the field this weekend and, and major league executives are all aware of this, aren't they? Like it's uh, the trade deadline was exciting a lot, but I I think there's a little bit of, I don't know if this quiets the word, but executives are aware of the, of the potential here as things open up, aren't they? I think they're not just aware of it, but I think major league baseball, is at least going to have to explore the notion of a playoff bubble again. Mm. I don't think that at this point they're there yet, but they're certainly thinking about it. They're certainly talking about it. Um, and, and mostly as a backup plan because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't know the trajectory of this. We don't know uh, if more people getting vaccinated here in the U.S. is going to help stem the tide. But uh, it, it's at the point now where there's enough concern where MLB tends to be proactive with this sort of thing. And I think proactivity is the, uh, the best antidote in this situation. Now, we saw how, how much of an issue last year when, when baseball tried to restart after the pandemic, how much bargaining had to be done. Is it, again, you're right. We don't, you know, we, we, we're looking at this possibly as a backup plan here. But do you think a template exists or does a template exist already with the Players Association and owners, because I, I, I sure don't think we'd all want a public negotiation in the first week of September, the second week of September, about a playoff bubble. No, I, I don't think anybody wants that. But I think if they're being realistic about this, it has to at least be under consideration. And I think the fact that last year's went off as relatively smoothly as it did, um, it helps. It, it certainly, I, I think template is the, the right word to use here, because there is one like it worked last year and by the grace of God and, you know, the Los Angeles Dodgers being able to pull out a victory in game six. I mean, imagine what it would have been like if Justin Turner had tested positive mm-hmm. and the Rays had won that game. six. it would have been an absolute unmitigated disaster. And the baseball got extremely lucky because you know, that, Game seven would have been postponed at least for a day or two to do contract uh, contact tracing. So um, I, I think they want to avoid that as much as they possibly can. And the only way to to do that would be a playoff bubble if it comes to that. Okay, well, what would speed it up quicker? How many people are getting it, or who's getting it? Because you get Garrett Cole and Josh Hader. You know, I think have had their shots and they're starting to get it. Is it more the name, or is it how many people's getting it? Yeah, I think it's probably more just how widespread it is. Yeah. And, you know, if you see teams starting to 
lose games and, and we get into a similar situation last year as we had with the Cardinals and the Marlins, then maybe it, it becomes a different uh, situation. But as of now, there's, there's nothing planned, but uh, they're certainly going to be starting to talk about it. Uh we, it's the first time we've had you on since the trade deadline, and, and uh, we were talking to Ross Atkins about this, and, and I mentioned him that I'd heard Eric Neander uh, uh, earlier today talk about talk about the uh, the trade deadline on a, on a podcast with uh, with our friend Jason Stark, and he was just talking about how active it was, and you know how it was. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Ross was a little more understated, but. Eric made it pretty clear that you know there was a there was a lot going on and um, and he but he had this fascinating he, he made this fascinating point I hadn't really thought of because he was asked about okay you're you're making all these deals you're walking and chewing gum at the same time et cetera et cetera what's your biggest fear and he said you know and, and Jason asked him is your biggest fear overpaying he said no your biggest fear is missing out on something you could have done. Which yeah. that's such a that's such a horrible way to live, <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? I mean, it really that's that's all that's a horrible way to live if you're a general manager. The idea that I might have missed out on getting this guy, but it seems like it it really was a factor this year. Like I'm getting the sense there was more sort of crosstalk. You know, uh, this team's offering us this. What are you guys going to do? There was more of that this year than I think in any other in any other season, from what I'm hearing. There was a lot of that. And I mean, the Rays were involved with everyone. You know, the Rays were in on Kimbrell and Bryant, and they discussed Javier Baez. And the, the Jays were, were in on a lot of those guys, too. Um, and, and I think, you know, I think for contenders this year, they wanted to avoid going away empty handed. I think mm-hmm. that was a big part of the calculus here because with the number of uh, impact players who wound up being dealt, if the Jays hadn't gotten a Jose Brios or a Craig Kimbrell, I mean, it would have looked like considering what so many of the other teams did and what, what so many of their division rivals did, would have looked like they weren't trying. And they were. I mean, they, they clearly were willing to try because they paid a very hefty price to go and get Barrios. But – um, the, that, you know, that FOMO is an absolute real thing. And I think it drove the market to where it was to the point where giving up players of Austin Martin and Simeon Woods, Richardson, Zilk, uh, w- was not just something that they had to consider, but was the reality of the market. Yeah. Speaking of try, trying, why is Trevor story still a Rocky? Because the Rockies are the Rockies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's. I mean, that's 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 about it. <laughs> he, sh- he shouldn't be. No. Uh, let, let's put it. Let's put it this way. Um, I don't think that the Rockies are going to get um, a better player with their compensatory draft pick this upcoming off season uh, than Pete Crow Armstrong. Mm-hmm. And I think if the Rockies had gone to the Mets and said we will give you Trevor Story and John Gray, the Mets would have preferred that to Javier Baez and Trevor Williams. And they were willing to give up for those two, Pete Crow Armstrong. So uh, I I don't get it. I don't get it because they have to pay Trevor Story $6 million for the rest of the season because they have to pay John Gray uh, a decent chunk of change for the rest of the season. And if you want to re-sign John Gray, that's perfectly fine. Uh, Do it in November. 
Like do it, do it after you have dealt him. I, I mean, if their fear was that they're not going to be able to resign John Gray, they know they're not going to be able to resign yeah. Trevor Story. But if their fear was that they're not going to be able to resign John Gray, and that is what gets in the way of making a deal, uh, it, it is so short-sighted and so silly and so antithetical to running a baseball team the proper way in 2021 that uh, I don't get it. Jeff, how did the Cubs make out in in your mind in their um, their their disassembling of that team? Like, you know, I, I I love I Barker kid kids me about this all the time, but I I mean I freely admit to having a crush on Nick Madrigal. I just lo- I love watching him play. <laughs> yeah. I love watching That's him play. Great, isn't it? I, it? It really is um, because it makes me yeah, think that just just about anybody can play baseball. And I'm not taking that away from him, but it may, but it it, it just kind of makes me think that because of his because of his size. But they did. They did pretty well. It, it seems from what people are saying that, that they actually yeah, did um, pretty well. I'm writing something right now that's going to be up on ESPN.com tomorrow, sort of delving into what the Cubs did. And uh, I, I'm not going to say they did as well as they possibly could have because, you know, I don't know what the full extent uh, and breadth of the, the trade opportunities there were. But I think if you look at the players that they got in all of their deals, it's a very nice mix of – present day talent and future projection. And that's what you go for there. You, you, you got to get the poo-poo platter. You got to get a little bit of everything because, um, you, you know, you don't want to get too pitcher heavy. You don't want to get too hitter heavy. You don't want to get too upside heavy. You don't want to get too present value heavy. You want a mixture of all of those things. And uh, I think the Cubs got that. And, uh, this is not to say that this is going to put them in contention in 2022. I think next year is going to be rough for them, but I think by the time 2023 comes around and some of their prospects have ascended through the organization, you know, they did really well in the U Darvish trade too. Mm-hmm. Owen Casey's been the best. Owen Casey's been the best player out in the Arizona Complex League, and he's 18 years old and um, Canadian. In fact, mm-hmm. um, he he's going to be really. I don't know if you guys have seen the numbers he's putting up. Um, he's hitting 373. He's getting on base 550, slugging high sixes. Like he's been the best guy out there. Yeah, staying in the National League with Chris Bryant. Can the Giants win the World Series? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you I think still, so? You know, yeah. I mean, this this bugs Giants fans when I say it. I still think the Dodgers are going to be a better team because I think they're a more talented team, but you can't discount what the Giants have done so far. You can't discount their pitching staff. You especially can't discount hitters. I mean, they've got a bunch of guys who are in double-digit home runs right now. They've got depth. They're good against righties. They're good against lefties. Uh, They out-homer their opponents uh, by, you know, nearly one and a half to one. And and if you're doing that in MLB, the, the difference between the homers they've hit and given up far and away the biggest in the big leagues. So uh, they're playing really good baseball all year long. And uh, I'm sorry, but you can't look at a team that's done through 110 or so games, mm-hmm. what the Giants have done, and think anything but this team is legit. Uh, can San Diego survive if Fernando Tatis Jr. needs needs surgery on, on that shoulder? Can they? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they've, they've made a lot of moves. There's still some depth there, obviously. Uh, the yep. lineup's still pretty good, but... By in, in in your mind, can they can they make a run at the World Series without him? I mean, right now, Fernando Tatis Jr. is the MVP of the National League. So if you're losing a guy who's been the best player in the league so far for the season, it's going to put a significant damper on your plans. Um, 
they need better pitching. Their pitching just has not, you know, Blake Snell's having a bad year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Darvish has been a little inconsistent lately. Um, you know, you can go into the postseason uh, with the two of them and Joe Musgrove and feel good about your rotation. But um, I, I still think that there are enough flaws there where to bet on them over the Giants or the Dodgers at this point, or even the Milwaukee Brewers, who, by the way, in the month of July, their starters had a 2.4 ERA. And it wasn't like an accidental 2.4 ERA either. This was a sub three fielding independent pitching number as well, which means that they were brilliant all month long and really have been brilliant all season long. If you can go Burns, Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta to start off, and whether you're choosing Adrian Hauser or Eric Lauer or uh, Brett Anderson for, for that fourth spot, it's a really good rotation, and you back that up with Devin Williams in the seventh and eighth and Josh Hader in the eighth and ninth. Boy, I mean, that's, you know, we've seen Craig Council manage a team that has less pitching to the cusp of beating the Dodgers in a postseason series. Um, I, I think this is the most talented team he's had since he's been there. And even if the, the Brewers' offense isn't, uh, you know, the, the standout of those other teams, the, their pitching is so good that uh, I think they are every bit as much of a threat as the Padres at this point. Okay, speaking of threat, coming back to the American League here with the Blue Jays, the people that you talk to nas- national-wide, what are the, how far do they think the Blue Jays are away of legitimately making a run at in the American League East? Um, I mean, I don't think they're going to make a run in these this year. I think they're, you know, clawing for a wild card spot. Yeah. And Boston's Boston's been playing poorly lately. They're going to be getting Chris Sale back though, and I don't think they're going to pitch as badly as they have. So I think that that first wild card spot is probably going to be either the the Red Sox or the Blue Jays. Um, excuse me, the Red Sox or the Rays. Uh, it's going to come down to three teams for that second wild card spot. And those three are the Oakland A's, the New York Yankees, and the Toronto Blue Jays. No disrespect to the Seattle Mariners. They've had a very good year. I just don't think that the talent is quite the same as those other three clubs. And uh, I I honestly think it's a a coin flip at this point. I I really like the Blue Jays. Uh, I think their offense is the best of those three. Uh, I think they're starting pitching with the way Robbie Ray's pitchers here with Alec Manoa, with Barrios and Ryu um, is quite formidable. Uh, their bullpen just scares the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. And it should, because yeah. it stunk this year. And, and the fact that they, you know, the fact that they didn't go out and get Kimbrell, I get it, but there is no team that he would have fit on better than the Toronto. Yep. Yep. No, I think you're, you're right about that. Well said. Jeff, thanks so much for doing this as always, man. Stay safe. Thanks a lot. Pleasure is always mine, gentlemen. You do the same. Jeff Passon of ESPN. I think he nailed it. Like it's. Yeah, I I, th- I think that's that's you, you know you, you can't have everything. I mean, the only thing I would, well, it doesn't matter because Craig Kimbrell's under uh, under control for next year, anyhow. So the point I was going to make was irrelevant. <clears throat> um, I I I wanted either or. Uh, my thinking all along was this is why I didn't buy into the whole Joey Gal. I. I wanted Kimbrell or I wanted Barrios, and I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm happy. I was happy with either one. I, I really was. I, I think you gotta, as I said, the Jays were in a unique position at this deadline because almost everything 
they could do that would help them in the long term. Yeah. And by long term, I'm talking about next year, also immediately help them in the short term. Uh, and and that's, I, you know, I, I wrote this in the weekend. I, I would not, I would not undersell this ownership or this front office's ability to re-sign Barrios. Understanding it's going to, it may, it's going to butt up with, with Bo Bichette's timeline and, yeah. and Vladdy Jr.'s timeline. Teoscar's. Teoscar's that, I mean, we're talking Bo and Vladdy, though, are in a different level they are, than yep. Teoscar, yep. right? We're talking guys who, I don't know if they're going to get Fernando Tatis money, but they'll probably ask for close. it or close to it. Mm-hmm. So I understand that all of this fits in and it's going to require a considerable investment by uh, by ownership and management. But I, I just, I wouldn't undersell. I wouldn't undersell the possibility of this guy re-signing here. And if he can re-sign, like I, I, you kind of rolled your eyes at me the other day. I still, one game playoff, he's my guy. Yeah, maybe. <clears throat> one game playoff, he's my guy over Ray, over Ryu. Um, See a couple of starts of him against the Yankees, one against the Red Sox. Then, then you can talk to me. Yeah. But I, I, right now, if we have to, it's just sports talk radio. Right now, if we have to, if we had to make a call, he would be the guy. Yeah, because let, I, because you know what? I'll tell you what. I know I'd get a minimum six innings out of him, and I'd be competitive. And I don't know. Well. Let's just wait and see how. Yeah, it, how sure be, it, sure, it would sure be nice to see Nate Pearson, a healthy Nate Pearson, come up here and in a seventh inning throw like he's mad at somebody. If all, it, all I want, wouldn't that be nice? It would be nice. Oh, for, it, would it would be. be nice for Nate Pearson to come up here and pitch the way he pitched, like he mad at somebody last year when <laughs> yeah. he came when he came up at the end. But uh, that was one game. The game was essentially over. There wasn't a whole hell of a lot of pressure on him. But that's yeah. If he can come up. If he can come up and be a guy who can get it up to 101. Me, I want to see I'll Nate see beating that. the guy on the on-deck circle. That, that's what I want to see. I've, I've been a part of that. I've been a part of standing on the on-deck circle watching a guy throw and not wanting to peek out there at him because he's pretty good at it. 707 is the first pitch tonight. We can see Hyunjin Ryu in our monitor getting ready to go out and begin his warm-ups. We'll take a break when we come back. Ben Wagner joins us from the booth. This is Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. So how about this? You know that uh, Jonathan Davis was put on waivers by the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, Jonathan Davis has a new major league team. Who's that, Jeff? It is the New York Yankees who (laughs) claimed him off waivers today. Who don't have a center fielder, really. They can play defense. Well, they got Joey Gallo. Who? Uh, He's going to play left and right. Well, they got it. I mean, got got the 45-year-old. Yeah, anyhow. Jonathan Davis, well, he'll be able to go get it. He'll be able yeah. to go get it. So there you go. On that team. Jonathan Davis of the Yankees. Good for Jonathan Davis. Yeah. Good for Jonathan Davis. Always, always glad. Good that. 0 for 10, though. You're gonna, it's going to be a little different going yeah. 0 for 10 in Toronto. By the way, Tyler Chatwood was. Uh, Who? Tyler Chatwood was. <laughs> today. Um, so he gone. Uh, the Jays lineup for tonight. 707 first pitch. George Springer in center. Vladdy Jr. at first. Marcus Semien at second. Bo Bichette. Is the shortstop. Teoscar's in right. Corey Dickerson makes his Jays debut at DH. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in left. Bravik Valera at third. Reese McGuire behind the plate. Mm. Mr. Barker, as you pointed out, three of the bottom four in this lineup. 
our lefty hitters. Valera's a, yeah. a, a switch hitter. Been a while since we've it seen It has. Them. Now, are they quality lefties? Huh? Oh, but not- at least they're left-handed, and, and it, it makes the pitcher mix up sequences. You can't throw everybody the exact same, get you out of groove. Yeah. That's the whole point. And Dickerson's a guy that... He can hit a homer. He can hit a homer. Yeah, and and I would I would argue that he probably makes the opposing manner. If you have him in the on-deck circle in the eighth or ninth inning of a game, the, the opposing manager probably thinks a little differently than Maybe if you have depends, Kevin Bidjo. Depends on there. how his first two at-bats go. He, he can tell you a lot how he's going to get you out. He's a free swinger. He's going to yeah. expand. But if he's zoned up, getting a hater, got some power. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and, uh, you know, again, one of the reasons that the Jays got rid of Rowdy Tellez is because of Corey Dickerson. Um, they knew they were going to have and that left-handed bat. And, well, yeah, <laughs> and Vlad. Well, I mean, that goes without, goes, without, goes without saying. He liked playing a lot, too. Hey, the Astros are taking on the Dodgers tonight with fans in the stands. The first time since, since uh, was it, Cody Bellinger came out and basically said Altuve stole the MVP award from the Aaron Dodgers Judge and they it, stole the Oh no the they're Dodgers not. fans aren't over it. No, Dodgers fans aren't are. over it. They're fans not are. over it. And Lance McCullers Jr. against Walker Bueller tonight. Oh. <laughs> Two guys with a little bit. They got they got, they got a little bit of the red ass, both of those guys. I guess like Lance McCullers will be it, it, Bueller's got an extra gear. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll get a little bit of there'll be a little bit of the nastiness going on there in that game i think because and dodgers fan you know people don't realize it people look at la and think you know ah well it's la it's boring dodgers fans can be nut are, are nutty yeah i want i want to see what cody bellinger trey turner and and mookie betts all healthy all clicking at the same time looks like that that for me with with the with the dodgers with the three guys they got in the rotation get clayton kershaw back it's it's gonna it's gonna be they're a pretty good team, my point. Yeah. yeah. I listen, I, I think even what does it say that even without even with all those injuries and even without Trevor Bauer, like like nobody talks about Trevor Bauer anymore. No. And and you're still thinking the Dodgers have the Dodgers have a real good That's real because good they chance. get healthy. They, back shares they do. I still say, I still say who who gets the ball when it matters. So, seventh game of the World Series, who are you giving it to? I mean It'd be hard pressed not to give it to the guys throwing tonight for the I was, Dodgers. I, I was going to say he's still he's got a gear, another one. Now I know it's Max and the two different yeah. colored eyes and the things he brings. The first ballot Hall of Famer, but Walker Bueller, it's it, he's the one guy that can throw a fastball to a fastball hitter and a fastball count. Yeah, I'm with you. I would probably, although I will say this: if you Trade for Max Scherzer. I guess. Don't you? I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing with you. But if you trade for Max Scherzer, uh, okay, here's a way to trade for him to get you to a game set. That's what you trade for. Yeah, but if it's a wild card, let's say they don't don't win their. If it's a wild card game, you almost have have to start Max Scherzer. You almost have to. Because what if Max Scherzer. What if you are eliminated without Max Scherzer pitching in the game? Oh, he's going to pitch in the game. It's just who who starts the game. But I think we're we're in agreement. It would be both of those guys before Clayton Kershaw. I think so too. Yeah, I I, I think we're in agreement. It's not even close. Uh, we're in agreement with that. Uh, ben Wagner is going to join us in a few minutes from the broadcast booth. Uh, do we need to uh, scoot now? Beautiful. We will break now and come back. Ben Wagner joins us next. This is Baseball Central and the home of the Blue Jays. Sportsnet 590, the fan. 
right. We're just a little more than half an hour away from first pitch tonight. Apparently my drive Who home. Who are you? Apparently my drive home is going to yeah, be. Yeah, it's Rex all over the place. I'm so happy. That's going to make me happy that you're miserable. I might just. I might just. Have yeah. To. It does. I don't know why it does, but it really does. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> I mean. And you're going to be sitting in your car just thinking, oh, seriously, who did I make mad up there? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, and someone's going to say, why didn't you take the guy? I could have taken the go train. You could have. But, eh, I mean, I just, you know, coming in at this time of day, it's been been pretty good so far. I've, I've lucked out. But today it appears as if the uh, lunatics are out in the road. I just don't get it. I, I, I don't get it. Um, it. It could be too many pickup trucks on the road. I, I might be falling into that category. Too mm. many pickup trucks on the road. Too many. Van- Here's the thing I don't get. And, and I understand this is aging myself, right? Mm-hmm. But when I was 25, give or take a few years, when I was 25, I used to sit back and think, you know what I'm going to do when I get a lot of money? Not, and of course, I have not yet reached right, that point. Right. But you know what I'm going to do when I get a lot of money? I'm going to buy me the fastest, smallest, sexiest, reddest car I can find. And I'm just, I'm, you, you'll never see. I'm just going to be, I just want my little fast sports car. Maybe a, not even a Maserati. It's not, they're not little. I want a little fast sports car that goes like pig, right? And I just, at no point did I sit there and say, you know, when I get older, I want to get me a pickup truck with, you know, wheels that are yay high and the ass of the truck up off the ground this high. And I want to get like runner boards so seven people can stand on the side. And yeah, and I want to get like that. I want to have the hump on the truck so that that's, you know, or I want to get me a big like Land Rover or something. I want to get me something big or a Humvee. I want to get me like a military grade thing that I can drive down the road. When did we change from wanting to go to wanting to go? You know? No, I don't know. All right. Let's bring in Ben Wagner (laughs) from the broadcast booth. He is our uh, radio voice of the Blue Jays on Sportsnet 590, the fan. How you doing, Ben? Ben, okay, I've I've got a choice. Are you going to have the smallest, fastest, reddest, sexiest car in the world? You can get a big-ass Humvee with chrome all over the place and... Whatever. What are you going yeah, give for? Give him a third option, a souped-up oh, golf cart. Or a souped-up golf cart. There you go. And there it, it is. There the you first go. Shot, the first shot of the day has been fired. There you go. I was going to ask you if you got your golf cart, cart across the border or not. <laughs> if I could, I would. I, I know you would. I know you it would. It would help out my, you know, three-minute walking commute all right and, in about and 30 seconds enough yeah, mirth good luck and, with yours yeah. good luck with yours Jeff. yeah thank you <laughs> that's what i said Jesus. it gives me great pleasure i might How just i might just sleep overnight here. i might sleep overnight uh, and eat all the free chips they got downstairs yeah. in the uh in in the uh the commissary here mm. uh it wouldn't be the first it wouldn't be the first time i slept here overnight to be honest but that's another story uh so uh it was it was involved tequila um, anyhow, hey, the, uh, Corey Dickerson in the lineup today, Barker and I were saying, we're looking at the bottom of the lineup, been a while since you've had three lefty bats, you know, Brave Valera is a switch hitter, but three lefty bats in the bottom of the order. How do you think Charlie, yeah, let's say, let's assume Corey Dickerson stays healthy and can contribute 
And, you know, at some point, Kevin Biggio comes back. How do you think Corey Dickerson will be used by Charlie? Let's say September 9th, everybody healthy and, uh, you know, and, and you're good to go. How do you think Corey Dickerson gets used? I think he gets a chance to play. If that bat comes back, he's going to get a chance to play. This is such a right-handed hitting lineup that the Blue Jays are looking for some productivity and some consistency from the left side. And I asked Charlie today, can he fight himself into playing contention? He said he's going to get a lot of looks. So the Blue Jays easing him back in today, and I honestly thought that he was going to start in left field because that makes a better defensive lineup between uh, facing Cleveland and also having Hinjun Ryu on the mound. And usually we see the Blue Jays' better defensive linemen in the outfield and on the diamond. So I thought maybe Corey Dickerson would get that call today in left field, but going to try to ease him back in with this DH spot. But I think Corey Dickerson gets a chance to play. And and if he can become an option, Gritchick then goes to the bench against right-handers, and that left-handed bat jumps in there. Okay, I can't believe I'm saying this after one inning, but where do you think Brad Hand pitches next? Seventh, eighth, ninth, sixth? Sixth. Really? That far Sixth. down? Well, I, you One know, inning. No, I, no, it's not one inning, but I think, you know, if you have it lined up where you've got Jordan Romano, you've got Simber, you've, I mean, you've got all the other guys. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, this is a situation where if he is fighting through something right now, that can ease him back in, and it's not a high-pressure situation in the seventh, eighth, or ninth where this Blue Jays bullpen has had a lot of trouble this year and hopefully if it is a situation where it is the fifth and maybe or the or the starter goes through five and you get to the sixth that'd be a nice way to just get him back into the into the mix here that's that's the balance for me and the other thing is too you have to watch how Rafael Dolis and and Ryan Barucki are going to be used I think in the next little while too because the Blue Jays don't have a long man and ideally, that would fall under the shoulders of Ryan Barucki. So if he goes a couple of innings because the starter goes short or it's a blowout, that then kind of shuffles around how the other guys are going to get used to. Uh, I don't think that Rafael Dolis is going to be that guy that they're going to expect two innings from, but he's not going to be the guy you know that's going to only go out there and throw 14 pitches. I think they're going to lean on him for length. So, again, it's like the big picture. Where are the pieces and how do they fall? And that's why I think if you get Brad Hand at least a couple of outings in low-pressure situations, that's that's where you're going to find him next. Do you think the old Ryu is back? And do you think he can make 28-ish starts? I think he can make 28-ish starts. You think so? I think, I think the old Ryu is back because that changeup has come back to life. Yeah. And that makes everything better. Everything I know we get really wrapped up in watching velocity and a number of different metrics here, but the bottom line is that fastball looks different and his cutter is way more effective if he's got the changeup. And we have seen the reemergence of that changeup. And I asked Ryu yesterday on the field, 
I said, how have you been able to get it back? Was it an extra side session? Is it your flat groundwork? Have you been able to change something to refine it? He said, no, he has changed nothing. It's just come back and it feels better. How did, why, why do you think that is? Do you think it's the ballparks he played in? You know, Buffalo, you miss because he throws 88. Dunedin, you miss. It's 88. Change up, you might start to aim it. Do you think that has a little something to do with it? Or he's just a little older. He's thrown a ton of them. And, a, a, you know, tendency is that thing tends to go away. I think it just tends to go away. You think I think so? it disappeared on him a little bit. And, yeah. Uh, I don't want to overblow this, but. The baseball is different now. The way that the ball is rubbed up and given to a pitcher, it is different now. And for a touch-and-feel guy, and he is every bit of that with all of his pitches, let alone the cream of the crop here with that changeup, I think it just took a little bit of time for him to find the changeup, the grip, the release point. And he admitted, you know, mechanically there were a couple of things that he got away from. So I think it's all back in sync now, and I'm, I'm looking for the vintage Ryu to return into the rotation because he's making his debut here in Rogers Center. Mm. You know, we had uh, Ross on a little earlier, and we were talking about the you know sort of the narrative that's developed around this team when it comes to close and late. And you know, we threw out the usual caveats. First of all, this is a and, and Ross pointed this out. This is a right-hand hitting team. You're going to see a lot of hard-throwing right-handers. You know, I, I, I mean, you can take it further and go a guy like Emmanuel Classe. If you look at his numbers. It's not just the Blue Jays that have had trouble with him or with his with with his velocity. But Ross made an interesting point about, you know, he didn't think it was velocity as much as command of the strike zone. There you go, by the hitters, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and 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 not expanding and maybe. It, and, you know, as Barker pointed out, look, there's a lot of luck involved, too. Randall Gritchick said more at-bats close and late than anybody else in this team. It's probably not the guy you'd pick, <laughs> no. right? If, no. you, if you could say, give me the guy I want up there close and late, probably not the guy you'd want. Vladdy, there are six guys between between Vladdy and, and, um, Randall. And, and Randall. So there is an element of luck here. But what are you seeing, Ben, uh, when it comes to those particular situations? Well, it's it's decisions to swing at good pitches to hit. That's where it boils down. I mean, we went through in 2019, young lineup, even some of the veteran guys that were there, and I'm going back to, you know, guys that aren't nearly as good as what this team is right now. But they were letting fastballs go right down the middle. And they were not picking out the best pitch within it at bat. And you can go back and... 1819 with the Brandon Drury's, the Derek Fishers, all the guys you know that were on the fringes, and they wouldn't even sniff this major league roster right now because it's a much different lineup. But that kind of plate discipline is where the Blue Jays need to be better. And late in ball games, they have to pick and not miss the pitch to hit in that situation too. And that's part of the problem with Kevin Biscio. Let's you know mm-hmm. the velocity is one thing, but also he's not expanding the the zone perhaps when he should. If he's thinking about a particular pitch or a particular situation where he's looking for a pitch to drive and he gets beat in another spot, uh, that's where it's boiled down. And he's he's not alone. You know, Rowdy Telez, that was the albatross mm-hmm. for, for Rowdy Telez. It was pitch selection, plate discipline, and the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays look overmatched because it's it's twofold. Guys with upper velocity, sure, but it's also picking the right pitch to pull the trigger on. Ben, run prevention's a big deal for the Blue Jays. Reuse on the mound. How come San Diego Espinal's not playing third? I asked, I actually asked the, that question on the field earlier today to one of the coaches, and Bravik Valera 
is a combination of get a switch hitter into the lineup, uh-huh. somebody that has a little bit more versity, versatility with the glove, but also is good enough with the glove to play at third base. Uh, Santi, you know, Santiago Espinal is a young hitter still. You've got Dan Ple- or Zach Plesek, Dan's nephew, Zach Plesek mm. on the mound, and he's going to spin it a little bit. And they thought Bravik Valera from either side of the plate just has more control within the strike zone. And, yes, he's got more natural pop from the right side of the plate, but as a left-handed hitter, they're looking for production in the bottom of this lineup, and they thought it was the better matchup. Yeah, you could just think the changeup working now out in front, weak contact to the pull side, Bo having his sometimes things at shortstop. Santi has been really good at third. I just he's uh, been tremendous. He was on wonder. display yesterday again. Yeah, I, I look at the plays on the backhand that he was making, playing in near the bag, back near the line as well, deep at third base, and he's got an average arm. And I was talking with Luis Rivera. I said, what makes the difference between a guy that has an average arm being a good third baseman to a guy that has a howitzer being a good third baseman? And it's the footwork that Santiago Espinal has. And he's now figured out, different than being at shortstop, he gets deeper. Mm -hmm. Watch him field on the backhand. He gets deeper. And it starts with the ankles, the knees, the hips all bending down because then he can come up and he lets a better, stronger, more accurate throw go. Nice. Ben, we're going to let you scoot. Uh, Look forward to your call tonight, my friend. Thanks as always. Thanks. See you in about 15 minutes, guys. Have a good one. Absolutely. Ben Wagner, radio voice of the Blue Jays, 707 first pitch. And uh, just watching the monitor here. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. can can find enjoyment in the yeah, simplest yeah, yeah. of things. Like, what, he's watching Bo Bichette wrap his bad handle right now mm-hmm. with his arm around him. And you'd swear to God they were, like, having a – maybe it is a deep intellectual yeah. discussion. Yeah, yeah. But Gurriel has, seems to have a lot of fun in, with just about everything. Yeah, I think he's saying, you know, Plesak throws this. Now you do this. Don't do that. Try this with your bat. It's it's just it's it's sort of neat watching them. They're that yeah. young. They're you know they're talking I'm probably sure, about I'm, numerous things. Yeah, I'm sure. But I'm sure. I, I I'm sure. I'm sure. Both saying. Don't bro, worry about. Don't worry about it. Look about what I'm me. Don't worry about me. <laughs> Look at him stats. It doesn't time. matter yeah. anyhow because you know what I'm doing that first pitch anyhow. It doesn't matter I'm what he's doing. As as I'm swinging as hard as I can. Yeah, so you, you just see uh, the flow. Yeah, you know. <laughs> That's it. Anyhow, uh, we'll take a break and come back. Are we on our? Oh, we're out of fit. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought we had got it. I thought we had another break. I went on so long with uh, that damn that damn truck thing. Uh, yeah, you did that. That I forgot about. Yeah. Interesting hearing hearing Ben talk about Bravik Bravik Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but I mean, he's a guy. Look, he's a guy. This organization has spent a great. When all of these games matter, you got to be careful with who's on the mound, who's found his changeup. You know, rumblings are he's asked for Santi playing third because of that reason. He wants every ball that's hit. That should be made, plays be made, mm-hmm. and it just seems like you're you're asking that guy to do a, a whole lot because he's going to get a lot of plays over there. He's going to get some balls hit to him, you know, that mm-hmm. could be hard. And hopefully they're made for the Blue Jays' sake and for for Ryu's sake. But I, I just don't know why. If if it ain't broke, why fix it? It's that kind of thing. If you've earned the right to play and you're better than the other guy, what? Well, okay, switch is he any good at it? That's the question. It's crunch time. You got 36 wins to get to 90. Yeah, okay? but I, I got to say, That's what I'm but I, I got to say, I, I have to say this too. Again, there's a reason this organization has worked so hard to keep him. They've worked so hard to get him. I mean, they've 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 carried him through a whole bunch of stuff. Clearly, there's 
there's a thought that he can yeah. help help him. Uh, hey, a switch hitting infielder. Well, you got a really good option, not, so it better why, work. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Like it's you well, know these games. Let me are, ask you this: are, games are a big deal. Okay, let me ask you this, Bark. Let me ask you this. All right. Say it does work. Say it does work. Well, is say he's a better defender than Kevin Bidjo. Wouldn't you rather find out now if he's a better defender than Kevin Bidjo and a switch hitter? Well, you just you just went out and gave up two pretty good prospects, thinking you can make a run at this thing the last sixty games. Not sure it's time to be figuring out if guys can play third with a guy up that's left-handed that's found his changeup. I don't know about that. We'll so see. I'm, I don't, we'll see if he is going. If, if he is going to contribute to this team, um, he's going to have to hit. Gonna have to hit guys like Zach Plesac. Like I, I don't know. If, I don't think. I don't, I don't think for me it's more about his hitting. So I disagree a little bit with Ben. The bottom of the order for me is more about defense. I know you turn the lineup over, you get the big boys up with a couple of guys. I get it. That helps. You know, we haven't. But it's more about defense. We haven't seen this guy play enough. It's entirely possible that he's decent defensively. Maybe. Although I, I will say again, I will say Santiago Espinal's earned the right, don't you think? Well, yeah. To play right now, I'm not saying next year or you're talking about right now. This is a small oh, we sample ta- size. We talked about this. Does I, he make the plays he's supposed to make? I made, yes, he does. I made the point. I made the point earlier today. And I don't know. I, I Marcus Semyon's a fine infielder. He's a great infielder. All that good stuff. Right now, though, two out in the ninth inning. I want the last ball of the game hit the Santiago Espinal, even more than Bichette, even more than Simeon. Mm. And I mean, if you want you to roll it down to first base, Vladdy, that's fine. But I you say roll it, roll it down first base. To, no, you know what I mean. But <laughs> you uh, said roll uh, it. Of That's the, different. Of the infielders in that other side of the infield, I would rather have San Diego Espinal making the throw and having me. You made me think about it, and that means they're they're better than decent. Like I, Bo, yeah, Marcus Simeon, I'm okay. The ball's hit to Marcus. I think I can turn away, and he's out. Santiago Espinal the same way. I think you got the corner, you know, up the middle a little bit. Bo's still a work in progress. Yeah. Footwork and where he wants to catch the ball, momentum towards his target, accuracy, all of those things. You know, the the big arm wheel rotation in his arm, it's a little bit too long, those kind of things. It's all work in progress. So, yeah, it's just they're trying to find, I guess, as many good mm-hmm. defenders as they possibly can get. I just, I don't know. It's... Isn't it a little late to figure out if a guy can play third with Ryu on the mound? I, I okay. Uh, just looking at Santiago Espinal's numbers since the start of June: three seventy-three, four doubles, two homers, seven ribbies. It's not. It, that's a plus for me. It's the way he plays defense yeah. because of who's playing short and the things he's still trying to figure out and how hard it is to play short every day. You need a good third baseman, and he sort of maybe a little eliminated Kevin. Oh, I, as well, you know, I mean, Charlie made this point the other day about I, still my third baseman. I don't know. I, yeah, I know what he said, but yeah, I, I do too. And I, and I get the sentiment and I'm good on Charlie and, and for saying that, but I, with Ray pitching, who was playing third? Yeah. Not, not Kevin Biggio. Yeah. Action, speed, louder and words, Jeff. Who was third on Sunday? Ugh. What was today? What's today? With uh, Barrios pitching. Uh, what? Might have been Kevin. I wonder if it was. I'm going to look right here. Da da da. Santiago West. There you go. All right. Well, a sinker ball guy, out. sinker ball guy out in, out in front. This is, balls. this is the Blue Jays lineup. 707 is the first pitch. George Springer leading off. Vladdy Jr. said at first. Marcus <laughs> Semyon. That would have been interesting. Marcus <laughs> Semyon's at second. Bo Bichette's at short. Teoscar Hernandez is in right field. Corey Dickerson is DHing. 
Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in left. Bravik Valera, we talked about this at third base. Reese McGuire behind the plate. Kim Jin Ryu on the mound. They will take on Zach Plesak. Um What do you expect to see from Ryu tonight as we as we wrap One through up? five in that order, get a lot of hits, score a lot of runs. So you don't really care about Ryu. Uh, it's, <laughs> Ryu's going to do his thing. He, he's got arm speed back, and the velocity's not a big deal. I, I don't know about the fastball and the righties. I think he's went away from that a little bit. I, maybe it's on purpose, and the arm speed and the location on the changeup, and he can throw it in any count, and he's got a lot of confidence in it. But I'm going to tell you right now, one through five, let's see it. Finally, Hyunjin Ryu makes his Toronto debut in a Blue Jays uniform at the Rogers Center. First pitch is 7.07. Thank you so much for joining Barker and myself. We will back, be back tomorrow again from 5 to 7. Have a great night. Enjoy the baseball.